Hello, my name is David Turner and this is another episode of Lunar Poetry Shorts. Today I'm in Hackney in London and I'm joined by Janine Booth. Hello, Janine. Hello. Hello. Um, as always, we're going to start off with a poem. What shall I do on this fine day? I've so much on my list. A mix of work and rest and play, I'm sure you get the gist. And maybe I will write a rhyme, but my unwritten law is every day I'll spend my time mostly hating Tories. I'll go to work, some bills I'll pay, that's if I'm feeling rash. To help her through to payment day, I'll lend my friends some cash. I'll probably make my kids some tea and read them bedtime stories of homeless piggies, one, two, three, and why they hate the Tories. I'll hate them for the bedroom tax, I'll hate them for the cuts, for living off the workers' backs, I'll hate their very guts. Look, see the depths to which they'll sink, they don't know where the floor is. That's why I'll spend today, I think, mostly hating Tories. What's that you say that hate's not nice? Please love thine enemy. Well, yeah, I tried that once or twice. It didn't work for me. And if you think that's not fair play, remember this you must. The Tories they will spend today mostly hating us. A history of evil done will justify my hate. I still detest the Tory scum for Section 28. Nybevan built the NHS so he knows what the score is, and he said vermin come off best compared with bloody Tories. I'm sure I'll find time to revile that UKIP and its drivel, and I'll locate a little while to loathe a lonesome liberal. I'll maybe pause to show regret for Labour's missing glories, but save my fiercest fury yet for mostly hating Tories. Our generation and hereon, our class and those before us, grew up to know which side we're on, the side that's not the Tories. So when I die, do this for me, inscribe and sing in chorus. Here lies Janine, her life spent she, mostly hating Tories. <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, that poem reminds me of my dad. <laughs> oh yeah. Or the the lines especially mostly hating us and the side that's not the tourist. Yeah. Because it's <laughs> yes. um, hello, Janine. Hello. Thank you for uh, talking to me and us at no the worries. same time. Um, first question, as always, is uh, why poetry? Because uh, I'm no good at music. Um, no, that, sorry, that would be the kind of facile answer. I think for me, um, it's about having something to say. And if you've got something to say, then I guess it's up to you, your choice of medium through which you say it. So um, I've got something to say because I've always felt very much at odds with the world and very much at odds with the values around me. I remember very much a turning point in my youth was um, in April 1980 when I was 13 years old and I heard Going Underground by The Jam for the first time because that's a song about being at odds with the world. And for the first time I realised that there was other people who felt the same way and anger at looking at society around us, seeing inequality, seeing injustice, seeing discrimination, seeing the rich getting richer and the poor getting poorer and wanting to say something about it. Um, to me, and I probably differ from a lot of people in this, to me, the medium through which it's said is secondary. Um, it just happened to be poetry for a few years in the 80s and now it happens to be poetry again, but it's been a lot of other things in between. Yeah. Um, Actually, yeah, so, since you made that point. So you took a, what was it, 25-year break? Yeah, just a, just a brief, just a short, yeah, just just a brief <laughs> respite. Yeah, so I started, I think, in 1985. I'd started a fanzine in 1983 when I was 16 and met various ranting poets then. So in the 1980s, we had a movement called Ranting Poetry. Now, Ranting Poetry was kind of... Um, 
if you think about what punk did to pop music in 1977, ranting did to poetry four or five years later. Um, so we held normal poets, <laughs> as it were, in absolute contempt. We yeah. thought they were all boring old gits, and poetry readings in those days were, uh, from our probably very biased point of view, um, boring readings by boring people in as boring a tone of voice as possible in the boring local library. Whereas we were jumping on stage between bands at punk gigs and having to win over a loud and boozy audience. Mm. Um, so that was the movement I was part of then. I started in 85 and I'd stopped by the end of the decade. But I'd stop because, um, not because I've run out of things to say, oh no, <laughs> um, but because I'd found new platforms to say it on really. Okay. So uh, by then I'd uh, uh, gone to university, which involved moving from a smaller city to a bigger city. So I grew up in Peterborough, yes. um, uh, but then I went to Manchester. So I got, there was more political activism, and obviously I'd left home as well. Um, more political activism to get involved in and I found myself doing I was still doing the poetry but I was doing you know speeches in meetings of hundreds of people moving resolutions giving talks on political subjects Mm. that kind of thing so it was um, the less I did poetry and then I stopped doing poetry I was still ranting but I wasn't (laughs) ranting in rhyme or or verse I was ranting through um, you know I was ranting at demonstrations rather than gigs I was ranting through megaphones rather than microphones do you feel do you feel that it was necessary to move away from the poetry to make more of an impact Um, I'm not sure it was as conscious a decision as that or that there was just so much political activism to be involved in that the poetry dropped away now you've also also got to bear in mind that you're asking me to remember things from nearly 30 years ago here and um, you know an awful lot of alcohol has been consumed in the intervening period uh, which dulls the memory Um, so I don't I don't actually remember making a conscious decision to stop doing the poetry but my friend Jean remembers me saying uh, that I didn't think people would take me seriously in politics while I carried on getting on stage doing silly poems. Cause I've t- so I've talked about my poetry so far um, in terms of kind of an angry, lefty, political, mm. ranting poet, which is what I'll always be, you yes. know. It, <laughs> I'm never going to tone down, it's not me really. But, you know, a lot of it's funny as well. Yes. Um, I hope that poem, mostly hating Tories, that I just did, tickles <laughs> people's funny bones yeah. as well as their, their brains. Um, and yeah, apparently I said that to Jean, that I didn't think people would take my politics seriously while I carried on getting on stage making people laugh. Now, I think that says something quite bad about politics, I think, uh, including the left of politics, which I would want to expect better of. And I think it also speaks to the struggle that lots of political women have to be taken seriously. Um, yeah. I think it can be difficult for political women to be taken seriously anyway. You know, if you, you get if you get on stage and tell yeah. knob jokes as well, it probably makes it harder. Yeah. Do you feel that you're under more pressure to be serious, uh, being female? Um, or do you feel you could have carried on more making jokes if no, you can? Is that, yeah, yes. it's more it's yes. more the latter. Yeah. I don't. It, it was very interesting about being a woman ranting poetry because there were hardly any of us. Mm. Very, very male-dominated. Um, which on one level I didn't have a problem with because, well, for two reasons. One, it meant I got loads of gigs um, because <laughs> lots of people trying to be right on thought, oh, yes, we're going to have yeah, a ranting poetry evening, we need to have a woman on the yeah, bill. Yeah, yeah. 
and, and they didn't have many to pick between. But also, actually, because most of the blokes, although they were numerically dominant, most of them were actually quite feminist. Yes. Um, they were quite progressive. They quite, you know. So I've been involved in a lot of male-dominated cultures, arenas, if you like, during my life. So for the last 17 years, I've worked on the railways. And that's very male-dominated, mm. and the trade unions are very male-dominated, and that's been very difficult. Um, and if, I think there's a responsibility on men who are trade unionists or left-wingers or progressive or political or whatever, that if they are in a numerical majority, they should really uh, do better than they do in a lot of political movements, actually, to, to tackle sexism and to um, make proactive efforts to encourage quite, women yeah. to get involved. I think it's quite a good point about the rent, the renting scene mm. as well. I mean, it's mm. like, obviously, it's a lot of I don't want to make you feel too old, but like a lot of the, these um, stories and a lot of these, a lot of like we went to the renting gig the other night. A lot of poems were that were being read out yeah. were from the, the year I was born or before. Yeah. And so, but meeting these guys now, it was obviously a very male-dominated scene. Yeah. But it seems it wasn't the fault of the guys within it, no. Because they do; they're all very forward-thinking, yeah, very inclusive. It, it, or most, it, it, of them, you know, the one, the, certainly the ones. I've yeah, heard. yeah. I, I, I can't think of a single episode in which a male ranting poet no. said or did anything that would be excluding to women. No. So I think you need to look beyond that for the real reasons, and the real—I mean, the the big picture reason is a is simply about. Um, men being brought up to be more confident to speak their minds yeah. than, than women, um, particularly young working class women. Yeah. And I suppose um, that, and at the point, um, mm. like in the early 80s when it was happening, to get up on the stage between bands and shout, scream and shout, yeah. that's what uh, you would guess it would have been far more men not than women to do that. It's know? not very feminine, is it? No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but it's in it, yeah, I hadn't really consider that mm. that much about you know mm. whether you would feel under pressure to move away to be taken more seriously yeah. politically um, yeah. uh, do, you, do you feel because um, I've actually heard from uh, you know I've spoken to poets Chip Grimm yeah. and, and Tim Wells as well about uh, the sort of perceived lack of political engagement by poets now, yeah, sort of, uh, sort yeah. my age or gen- my yeah. generation, that sort of open mic in now. Yeah. I've talked to my peers, as it yeah. were, and I think a lot of them feel that still they don't really want to talk too politically because yeah. it's sort of seen as a joke. Yeah. It's not yeah. taken. They'd rather go and yeah. and like I said, join a uh, work with a union or. Uh, I think there are a number of factors at work here. Right, one is I think we still in pretty much every aspect of working class life live under the shadow of the defeat of the miners' strike. Mm. Um, ranting poetry burst onto the scene just before the miners' strike. Most of us did benefits for the miners, supported the miners in whatever way we could. The defeat of that strike has just thrown the workers' movement into an, an era of um, most of our fights now are defensive rather mm. than for positive yes, yes. demands. People are demoralised, people talk about trade unions being old fashioned, all that kind of thing. And now you might be thinking, well, what's that got to do with poetry? We're talking about poetry, not about trade unions. But it's interesting to see how. Um, culture that culture changes as political balance of force changes and when you have a confident assertive winning workers movement then you tend to get more 
working class voices in politics, more political working class mm. voices in politics, people able to get up, say their piece, know there's an audience for them, that there's a movement to be part of as well. Because one of the important things about a lot of the ranting poets, myself included, is it wasn't like... Um, Okay, so we were left-wingers and we were supporting campaigns, but it wasn't like there was campaigns over here and then there was poetry over here. Yes, yes. We were actually engaged with each other. So, yeah, we'd do gigs that were just gigs, you know, people pay on the door and the money would be split between the artist and the promoter, but we'd also do gigs, do loads of gigs that were benefit gigs or were just awareness-raising gigs or were like, uh, even not even gigs, they were like poetry turns at political rallies yes. I remember doing it's a poem I did the other night and I, I mentioned it at the gig you were at David um, called The Truth where the, the chorus line if you like is it must be the truth I read it yes. in the sun and I actually performed that at a strike rally at Wapping of striking uh, printers that, mm. and, and it was only after I finished the poem and like there's thousands of people there and they're cheering and stuff that I just realised that the big bulk of the audience that was cheering was people who a couple of months earlier were printing the sun. Yes. You know, and that to me, that kind of interface between workers' struggles and poetry was incredibly important. Now, the fewer big, active, proactive struggles there are, the less that interface is going to happen. Mm. And there's a lot less of that now. The Labour Party's moved away from its working class roots and has become, um, you know, more right wing. I'm hoping that process is maybe slowing down or going into slow reverse so. now possibly <laughs> at least at least blares off the scene yeah. um but yeah so i go to a lot of gigs now and there are some very interesting changes okay first of all loads more women yeah great second of all loads more poetry so there are uh po i mean you you can go to a poetry gig every night in london in fact if you've got a very fast means of transport you can go to several yeah and um, that just i think that wasn't the case before you've got to remember that i didn't live in london <laughs> when, in the same. 80s i lived in peterborough where there was like one event of any interest every decade um but there's loads and loads of poetry which is great the average poetry gig you go to now on the London spoken word scene, you've got men, you've got women, you've got young people, you've got old people, disabled people, non-disabled people, gay people, straight people. It's, and, and yet none of them have got a huge banner over the door saying, hey, aren't we really diverse? You no. know, no one's having to make an issue of it. It's just and that's one of the this goes back to your very first question, I think. Why poetry is it's incredibly accessible and, and democratic, yes. really. It's like. Open mic is, is actually like, um, you know, a poetry night where you have a, a feature artist opening up and then you have an open mic is almost like a political meeting where you have someone do a talk and then anyone from the audience can chip in. It's almost like that, you know. It's um, punk rock kind of said, you, you don't need expensive clothes or expensive equipment to play, you just need some crappy old guitar. Mm. Um, performance poetry says you don't even need the crappy old guitar. Yeah. You know, you can just get up and say your thing. But I do, I do a lot of gigs where there's some loads of brilliantly talented people up there who get up and do really good poetry. And a lot of it isn't explicitly political. It's about working class life, so it is political. Yes. Maybe it's political with a small c. But, you know, when some uh, black guy gets up and does a poem about the police bothering him all the time, or a black woman gets up and does a poem about her experience of both sexism and racism. Mm. Um, that That's political. It is. It's political. Or people just do 
story, you know, the guy at a gig a few months ago did a great uh, poem about this rubbish, zero-hours contract, low-paid job he'd just yeah. been sacked for and how much he hated it, you know. But politics with a capital P, there's a lot less of it. Yeah. And I find that whenever I perform, I, I can't be anyone other than myself, I'll... I'll do political things. I, I have one or two. I've got one about dogs in my book. Or I've got one or two that aren't about politics. Most are in some way or another. And there'll always be someone who comes up to me afterwards and says, I really like your stuff. And it needed somebody political. Yeah. And talking about of your other poems, maybe we should hear one more and then we can carry on. Um, probably got, actually, I've got a couple more questions along that line, but we'll take a poem first. Okay. Um, Okay, right, well, I'll, I'll, I'll do one called Real Rape, which I hope speaks for itself. If she's drunk or she's flirty or a boozy young floozy, if she, if she likes talking dirty, if she isn't that choosy, if she touched him or kissed him and she then changed her mind, if she's scared to resist him, if she liked it last time, if most everyone knows that she usually says yes, if she shows off her toes, if she wears a tight dress, if she's not in great shape, then it's not really rape, is it? If the guy is her boyfriend, if they're out on a date, if they shared some enjoyment, if they stayed up quite late, if he's rich or he's famous or a top football star, then it's not quite the same, that's just going too far. If the man is convicted but keeps on denying, says it's wrongly depicted, if his girlfriend stands by him, if his name's in the paper, then he didn't really rape her, did he? If the girl never fought it, if she lay back and cowered, if she didn't report it until after she'd showered, if she didn't speak out until months or years later, then there's reasonable doubt about this perpetrator. And if nobody saw and if nobody heard, then you're going to need more than just that woman's word with no videotape, then it's not really rape, is it? And if it comes to a court... We'll explain to the jury that we all know her sort. You know, hell hath no fury. She's just angry and bitter because he's dumped her and left. It's not like he hit her. She's just sad and bereft. If she's mentally ill, then you cannot believe her. She's forgotten her pill. Or she's scared that he'll leave, he'll leave her. It's a trick lie or jape, but it's not really rape. Is it? It's not really rape. It's just bad bedroom manners. It's not really rape. She's just trying to scam us. It's not rape, says a shirt. It's a snuggle with a struggle. She's not really hurt, she's just trying to cause trouble. It's not really a crime, it's another blurred line. You know, men don't have time to decode every sign on the sexual landscape. So it's not really rape, is it? Real rape takes place on a poorly lit lane. With a mask on the face of a man who's insane. Real rape's committed by sick monsters with knives and by psychos and rippers, not by ordinary guys. Real rape victims are angels. They're sober and chaste, they're jumped on by strangers, they report it post-haste and they try to escape. We'll accept that's real rape. Please, let's stop making out there are some rapes worth less, or they somehow don't count, as the slogans will stress that wherever we go and however we dress, the word no still means no, only yes can mean yes. If she says neither word or you can't really tell, then she hasn't concurred, and so that's no as well. It's consent seals the deal, and without it, rape's real. Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, yeah. uh, that always gets to me, that one, having a couple of sisters. Um, yeah. Uh, right, I'm trying to move on now. Right, uh, <laughs> um, I, I was going to ask a question I, I do this all the time mm. I, I write points and write mm. questions and then I read them in the interview and think that mm. makes no bloody sense yeah. <laughs> I do that too when I, yeah. when I interview um, people 
We talked actually the other night when, um, when you were on stage. You talked about it, and we sort of alluded to it there. And you know, a lot of poems that you wrote in the eighties mm. could be relevant now. Yeah, and a lot of the poems that you, especially mostly hating towards, you could have written that. Yeah, before. Yeah. Um, so actually, to give a bit of context to people listening, um, so you're going to be performing a couple of. Um, uh, gigs for Tim Wells. He's got yep. stand up and spit. Yeah, um, it's like a retrospective of ranting mm. poetry. Mm. Just to sort of, he's got um, he's putting together an archive of what happened, what went on in the early yes. eighties. Um, but do you think part of the point of the retrospective is this fact that the poems written, some of the poems written in the eighties, could have been written now, and not much has changed. There are certain I things, so, yeah. and maybe part of this retrospective is to highlight pe- to people. Yeah. That, you know, this, this I'm, shit I'm, has happened before. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of hoping the retrospective turns into a revival. Well, no, um, and that's what I mean. It could yeah. become that rather than the retrospective. Well, it's, it certainly has for me personally. It's I would definitely, to give Timmy's credit, give him at least some of the credit for the fact that I've started performing again. Right. Because uh, when he when he asked me, you know, if he could uh, interview me and whatever, and I agreed. I just started thinking back to that and thinking... It wasn't the only reason. There was other reasons as well. Um, but, yeah, that's one of the things that got me back on on the stage. Yeah. And, yeah, because... We are trying to change the world here, OK? Mm. And if we keep on reinventing the real and standing on the ground rather than on the shoulders of the people who come before us, then it's going to be an awful lot harder to do it. If we keep going back to the starting line and trying to... You know, if we keep running a race against the other side and losing... And then going back to the starting line, we're going to go on forever. The point of uh, there's there's a thing we Marxists say about is it something like those who do not learn the lessons of history are doomed to repeat its repeat its mistakes or something like that. Anyway, the point about studying history, and this is one of the things that Karl Marx brought to socialism, was you know don't just don't just be utopian about it, don't just dream about what better world you want, but study how society changes, right? Have have a look at how things change over time, what what drives that change, whether we've been here before, what was done then, what worked, what didn't work, how can we do it better? And I don't see why that shouldn't be just as true about poetry and culture as it is about the more industrial forms of um, struggle and of you know poetry is a way of articulating demands and views you know mm. and we touched on briefly uh, uh, the, uh, the view that maybe the current open mic scene and the way that it's set up in London is perhaps not as politically engaged are, are there any other differences that, that you've seen yeah I mean a lot of them are quite good differences like there's just a load more young people involved mm. and a, a much bigger diversity of people involved I, I think the spoken word scene's great I really yeah. do and like last night I was at a poetry LGBT gig in Dalston and uh, I took two of my friends along Clive and Paul who aren't who aren't spoken word scene regulars at all and they were blown over by yeah. how much they enjoyed it they really were and they're going to be they're going to be coming back because that particular gig is going to start being monthly from, from June onwards, okay, yeah. first Sunday of every month. Yeah. Poetry LGBT, first that's Sunday that's of every right. month, the, the Tipsy's Tipsy Bar, Dal- yeah, Dalston. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, yeah and they really, yeah, there's a huge... I mean, I, it's still not even a year ago since I've read for mm. the first time, and mm. I hadn't heard of a single open mic night, and now yeah. I, you can't move yeah. for them. I mean, they are, yeah. you can, like you said, you can yeah. do something every night, and the, the quality is very high. Um, 
maybe we could have a third and final poem. Okay, well, I'm going to take you back to the 80s now. Um, And actually one that I probably couldn't write these days because although a lot of things are still as bad as they were, um, the Tories, etc., I have to say I think washing powder adverts have become marginally less sexist since the 1980s. Um, Those of you listening who are old enough to remember the 1980s may well remember some of the appalling, cringeworthy um, advert slogans that are mentioned in the first part of this poem. Um, Those of you who are not old enough to remember the 1980s will just have to hang on and wait for the uh, swearing and gratuitous violence in the second part of the poem. So this is about... Actually, if you go go onto YouTube, there are are, um, collections. You can watch all the the terrible ads. Excellent. (laughs) Next time I've got a few minutes to spare, I must do that. So this poem is about a housewife who quite justifiably, in my opinion, takes her revenge on the washing powder salesman using various items of laundrette equipment, as a result of which she ends up in court. So it's called The Housewife's Trial. Your Honour, I'm only a poor housewife, and the one great joy in my boring life is to get my laundry white and clean. The light of my life is my washing machine, so this morning I had a terrible shock because the dirt said hot but the label said not with the stains on his undies and the dirt on his vest they'll never pass the window test it really did come as a terrible fright i'll never get them bluey white my powder's so crap i'm sure that it won't shift those stubborn stains that ordinary non-biological washing powders don't then all of a sudden to lay my fears a man in a long white coat appeared he said it's new it's improved it's the best you can buy it's fucking amazing why not give it a try Then more appeared and very soon washing powder salesmen filled up the room but under all that pressure my patience snapped and in the soap powder advert the housewife strikes back. I attacked them all with piano wire, put their heads in the machine and their bodies in the dryer. I grabbed them by the willies and pulled them through the mangle. I spun them and wrung them until they were strangled. Then I washed them and rinsed them a couple more times, hung them up by the bollocks from the washing line. I took them down and shook them to get rid of their crinkles, put them on the ironing board and ironed out their wrinkles. I didn't mean to kill them. It was out of frustration. I was sick of being subjected to their patronisation. So I stand accused, Your Honour, of this terrible offence. And the one thing I can say is, it was in self-defence. <laughs> oh, thank you. Um, all I keep thinking is of um, those terrible Daz adverts all the way through that. So. Yeah, yeah, indeed. <laughs> they might have even been a bit later. Those are the ones where you had to hold your, your white That's vest up to the yeah, window, yeah, yeah, weren't yeah, yeah. they? Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, we're going to just... Yeah, that's it, actually. Oh, just a, a last thing. Um, is there anything that you would recommend to our listeners to go and see or check out? And it doesn't have to be yeah. poetry-related. Um, oh, absolutely. So, um, first of all, I recommend that you go and vote to kick the Tories out mm-hmm. uh, a week on Thursday. Um, I'm involved in a campaign called Socialist Campaign for a Labour Victory, so we're trying to get Tories out and Labour in, but we're also trying to put, push the Labour Party in a more socialist yes. direction. Um, so check that out I have my own personal website janinebooth.com on that uh, you can read all my poetry but you can see the other stuff I do so I do do other stuff in my life I do a lot of work on the issue of autism Um, I do training for trade union representatives representatives, um, about autism and I do lots of socialist feminist campaigning disability rights campaigning and trade unionism and um, I've had a couple of books published over the last couple of years as well one on the Poplar Council Rates Rebellion of 1921 and one on um, private uh, privatisation on London Underground. Yep. 
Um, and of course, there's my new-ish poetry book called "Mostly Hating Tories," which I highly recommend. Which, which David yeah. highly recommends, having <laughs> read it um, on public transport yeah, on the way on, home. On the Northern Line, yeah. yeah. So does Mishy. My mate Mishy recommends it, and he read it on the uh, 78. So. On the bus, yes, absolutely. <laughs> it's perfect for reading on public transport and alarming the person <laughs> sitting opposite you. And anyway, that's only three quid for 33 poems. Yes. Less than 10 per poem. What a bargain! So you can buy that direct from our website. Any of my gigs, they're all listed on the website. Um, check out if you wanted to as well some of my political writing uh, some of it's linked to from the website I also write regularly for a newspaper called Solidarity which is published by Workers Liberty which is the small Marxist group that I'm a member of and um, you know don't just listen to and read my stuff engage with it come and have an argument with me if you think what I'm saying is wrong discuss things it's only by discussing things that we that we can Get the right policies and strategies but, but to go forward. First, go out and fucking vote. Absolutely. Don't forget the vote. Yes. And if you're going to argue with me, you have to do it in rhyme. Okay. <laughs> yes. your, your, your argument must be right. Must rhyme um, with itself. And then, uh, what I'll do is I'll put all the links to your website and yep, all that. Lovely. It'll be in the description of the video Brilliant. on YouTube. Uh, thank you, Janine. Thank you very fun. much, David. Um,